Sal Berry. The experiment in the desert is over. And Tim Parrish. Everybody knows I have no love lost for Canadian hockey teams. Don't cancel me for saying that. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the Arizona Coyotes potentially being on the move in a couple of seasons. We're going to talk about what went down with the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're also going to talk about Leafs Art of Hockey card set. We're going to talk about what's going on with PWCC. And we're going to talk about the upcoming 21-22 Fleer Ultra E-Pack exclusive hockey card set. Tim, how are you doing? Right now, for this moment, I'm good. You're better. If you would have asked me the same question a week ago, I would have told you I was dying. Yeah. But, I mean, that's why we didn't do the podcast a week ago, because you were dying. Yeah. Well, no, you weren't dying. You felt <laughs> like you were dying. Tried to die, but it didn't work. So Can I tell them what that you had? Oh, I, I mean, I, I had COVID. I finally, to caught, the club. I finally caught the Rona after three years. Caught the Rona after dodging it for three years. That's right. Three years of not getting it, and then... All of a sudden, I got it. It's funny because that promo commercial that's on Fox for American Dad, it's mm-hmm. exactly what Roger says. He's like, I avoided the COVID-19 for three years. And then his phone goes off. Beep. Oh, never mind. I, I tested positive. <laughs> I'm like, that's exactly what happened to me. It's exactly. And the crazy what? part is I live in a household where my wife works at a hospital and she's exposed to every disease known to man on a daily basis. And none of us here have gotten it. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere for no apparent reason, I got sick. Felt like it was like regular sick. And Jess is like, you need to take a test. So I did and I passed. That was that. A couple of weeks back, I was feeling sick. I didn't have COVID, but I had something, you know, cold, cough, whatever. But it wasn't COVID. I kept testing, kept testing, negative, negative, negative. But, you know, it was enough to kind of sideline me for like a week. And then when you told me you got COVID, I'm like, OK, I really need to get my booster shot. I'm not technically eligible for it, but I just went there and said, yeah, I want my booster shot. They're like, well, you're not 65. I'm like, no. But, uh, you know, I got things going on. And they're like, all right, that's fine. They're like, nobody is getting the booster. I heard you got sick, and I'm just like, man, I haven't had a booster since October. And it's funny how NHL teams don't really report that anymore. I mean, they do, but it's not that big of a deal as it was. Remember, they used to say if a player was sick with COVID or if he had another thing, non-COVID, or well, now they just say non-COVID, and, but they don't like make a big deal about it. It's a non-COVID-related lower body injury. Yes, non-COVID, non-COVID, upper body, non-COVID-related injury. I want to talk about the Coyotes because I love the way, okay, well, first of all, before I profess my love for the way people make fun of the Coyotes, they can't get an arena deal to build the arena. They want to build an arena in Tempe, which would be great. Right now they're playing at Mullet Arena where the Arizona State University Sun Devils play. It's a 5,000 seat hockey rink. And they're supposed to break ground on a new rink. Their current situation is supposed to be a temporary situation. And this was the whole, like, in order to make a step forward, we need to take a step backwards. You know, like, we're going to play in this shitty little rink. Well, actually, it's not a shitty little rink. It's a nice rink. It's just 
it's for a college team. So it's 5,000 seats, which is, I mean, that'd be great for a junior team, a college team. It'd be small for an AHL team. And for an NHL team, it's like they're really making an exception for the Coyotes. But now it looks like they don't really have a path out of that situation. So they can't play there forever. So they're going to have to move or do something. I love the way people are like, oh, well, the experiment in the desert is over. It's like, buddy, it wasn't an experiment. They've been there for over 20 years. They've been there for like 25 years. Okay. Whether they were successful or just okay. That's the argument. That's exactly what the argument is. Is yeah, they've been in the desert, but what do they have to show for it? Twenty-five years in the desert, twenty-three of those twenty-five years they've been in financial trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They were owned by the league for a time, you know, or the the league was basically running the team until they could get a buyer who would keep them in in the state of Arizona. Right. So this looks really like the time for the team to move because. You know, if if they can't find a place to play in the desert, and don't get me wrong, it made sense. I mean, when we're kids in the 80s and the 90s, what was the joke? That all the retired people either went to Florida or Arizona. Pretty much. Yeah. So it just made sense that like people are going to retire and they're going to go to Florida. Well, guess what? Florida got two hockey teams in the 90s. Okay, so what was the next logical place to put a hockey team? Arizona. And they did because the Winnipeg Jets relocated to become the Phoenix Coyotes. They weren't cutting it in ticket sales. They weren't cutting it with, you know, the Canadian dollar went down in value. It was worth about 70 cents of the American dollar at the time. The team was struggling to sell out its games. I mean, there was a lot of problems. It wasn't a coincidence that you had the Nordiques move as well because of the way the economy was. But it might be time for the Coyotes to move, and there's been some rumors about different places they can move to. We don't like to substantiate rumors, because like I like to say, trade rumors are just sports fanfic. This isn't really a trade rumor. I guess this is a relocation rumor, but it's still sports fanfic. Yeah, it's fan fiction, but it's also foreshadowing of what could possibly be happening. I think I mean I think it's interesting, and I, I know you didn't really bring it up, but what actually went down with the vote that shot this thing down because there was a lot of money spent campaigning for the coyotes to win this vote. I mean, we're talking a lot. The, the group, I think it's called like Tempe wins or something like that, that Arizona, the coyotes owner, his whole development company that he owns. Mm -hmm. I mean, they spent like three quarters of a million dollars on this campaign and the opposition party spent like 30 grand on their advertising and they went out and the crazy part is everything i've read about this is talking about all the different positions that people were taking and all of the info that was dumped into the public about what it was going to cost how much money it was going to generate this that and the other thing there's so much opposing information that went back and forth i saw 167 million dollars of tax revenue over the next 30 years would have been brought in i also saw the city would lose like $10 million mm-hmm. over the course of the deal. So it's like there's all this opposing information as to what goes on. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they said no. So, I mean, you already had Glendale say no. You've had Tempe say no. 
Now what? They're not getting anywhere close to Phoenix. I'll tell you that right now. That's just not going to happen. So if they're going to stay in Arizona, where do they go? Scottsdale? I mean, there's not enough population. I mean, there is, but there's not. And it's too far away from everything. Go up to Kingman. It's almost up to Nevada. There's nothing up there either. It's like an old cowboy town. Right. I know you drive through it when you drive up. But anyway, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, And I know you said we don't like to talk about rumors, but you kind of have to here. I kind of want to, actually. Where are they going to go? So I'm going to just rattle off the list of cities that I've seen thrown around. And then we don't have to talk about all of them, but we'll talk about some of the more interesting ones. But these are just some of the cities that I've seen hinted at or rumored or whatever. So Houston, Texas, Salt Lake City, Utah, Sacramento, California, San Diego, California, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Atlanta, Georgia, Portland, Oregon, Kansas City, Missouri, and then in Canada, Quebec City, Quebec, Hamilton, Ontario, and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Atlanta's not happening. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know. I think it's the other way around, but still. They've already had two failed franchises. They're not getting a third. I honestly think that the Atlanta Thrashers, that was the right time for the NHL to have a team in Atlanta. The only reason why they put a team in Atlanta in 1972 was to mess with the World Hockey Association. That's why the New York Islanders got an expansion franchise because the WHA was like, we're going to put a team in New York and they're going to be called the Raiders and we're going to put a team in Atlanta. And the NHL is like, not if we put teams there first. That's why we had all that overexpansion in the 70s. So Atlanta Flames, that was probably too soon for a hockey team to be put there, like a major professional hockey team. When the Atlanta Thrashers came around in 99, that was probably the right time. I mean, it was a fastly growing city. You had a lot of people moving from the north down south, and that's where they were going. So it it made sense at the time. It just didn't work out. But they had two kicks at that can. I agree. It should absolutely not be Atlanta. (laughs) And for the same reason, I don't think it'll be Kansas City, despite what Patrick Mahomes tweets out. I don't think it can support that. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Kansas City Scouts. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They were there for two full years. They didn't have a chance to put roots down. And again, going back to your other point, different time frame, different period Mm -hmm. in history, but still. What would be the point of going to San Diego? San Diego's losing sports teams. Mm -hmm. So I I wouldn't see that happening either. And you know Batman's he's got this thing for warm weather cities. So out of all of those that you named... Houston seems to be the only one that makes sense. Houston, yes. And I would also argue for Salt Lake City. I don't know about that one. Okay, so Houston, a few stats here. So Houston has a population of 2.28 million people. So it is the largest United States city that does not have an NHL team. But its metro area, count all the suburbs and stuff, you're looking at 7.3 million. So... That's a lot of potential fans. That is a lot of potential fans. And, I mean, they could potentially play at the Toyota Center where the uh, the Rockets play. So that seems to make, like, a lot of sense. you got a place that they could play, even if it's temporary, a stadium that has 
you know, NBA and NHL, those always seem to work well. You know what I mean? Like, you can't really put a hockey rink in a football field. You know what I mean? Because you have outdoor sport, indoor sport. But basketball and hockey, hockey and basketball, those seem to be compatible roommates when it comes to an arena. That, to me, I think is the best one. It's It's hard to retrofit, though. They They usually have difficulty with these retrofits, too. I mean, most of the time they end up being temporary. And then a hockey rink gets built. Mm-hmm. But those retrofits, oh, as well as they pull off winter classics and outdoor games and stuff, I imagine the technology's past the point of it being a major issue. But again, warm weather climates you put in these temporary systems, they're tough. Yeah, that's true. And then Salt Lake City, just looking at their population, only 200,000, 1.2 million counting their metro area, but 3.38 million for the state of Utah. And I mean, there's the Vivint Arena where the Jazz play. Again, I don't know if that would be an ideal spot for a hockey team to play. You're right, just because an NBA team plays there doesn't necessarily mean that an NHL team could be there. And maybe I'm a little biased because I remember Chicago Stadium, but that started as a hockey rink. And then they were able to retrofit it to also be a basketball arena. And it's probably easier to go the other way around. Start as a hockey rink and then say, okay, we're going to add some courtside seats. And we're going to put flooring over the ice and all that stuff. Versus like, oh, shoot, we have to take seats out. And we got to do this. And we got to put pipes under the floor for refrigeration and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know about Salt Lake. The Jazz are the main team out there. And if you look at attendance, like the actual attendance for NBA, it's not like the Jazz is lighting the world on fire. They sit about in the middle of the teams between the the highest selling and the lowest selling. Mm-hmm. You know, they're nowhere nowhere near like where the Thunder and the Pacers and stuff like that are. But they're not up there with the Bulls and the Sixers and the Mavericks and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where they sell out most of their games. So. I don't know that there's another pro sport that could pull away some of that market share. I honestly don't think where you say they make good bedfellows in the same arenas. I don't think there's as much crossover with the fan bases of basketball to hockey. Right. I mean, you could like both, but you're probably going to commit to one or the other if you're going to buy season tickets. I mean, certainly if you're Charles Barkley, I mean, guy played basketball is like a legend and essentially has come out numerous times and said he'd much rather watch hockey than basketball. So, I mean, he said that numerous times. So, he has, you know. yeah. I, lo- I love Barkley. I, I love love him even more because he said that. But, I mean, I've always thought Charles Barkley was cool. From his no, tirade of I'm not a role model. That's to my his, favorite. To his appearance on Hanging with Mr. Cooper back in, I want to say it was 1998. To his multiple cameo appearances in the short-lived Clerks cartoon. If you remember that, I'm sure you do. I do. Barkley has always been my favorite basketball player as long as I can remember. And when he came out with that commercial about not being a role model, that solidified it. No one's ever been able to take his place as my favorite ball player right. for basketball. But I think more to the point of what we were talking about, I think, honestly, if they have to go somewhere, Canada. I don't think it's going to happen, but it makes logical sense. The problem is where you put it. I know you bring up Hamilton and you bring up going back to Quebec again. Let's put it this way. They've talked about the metro area in Toronto being big enough to support two teams. 
I'm pretty sure the Maple Leafs have something in their league agreement that allows them to veto any teams in their metro area. I believe they do. So I don't know that you could, even though you probably could support one, I don't know that you could get someone anywhere close to there. I agree. And so even though Hamilton seems like a logical choice, by the way, the uh, the census data from Canada was from 2017. And so Hamilton has a population of about 579,000. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, but the thing is, is that you don't have to be in Hamilton to be a fan of the team. I mean, you need to be able to sell enough season tickets and game day tickets. And will, will they sell those tickets? Of course they will. I feel like if they put, if they put a second team in Toronto or if they put a team in Hamilton, they would absolutely sell out every game. That's not the issue. I guess the thing is, is how do you grow the sport beyond just that fan base, right? Like, would you rather put a team that has 500,000 people in that city? Would you rather put it in that city? Or would you rather go for a city that has 2.28 million people, 10 times as many people or 7 million people if you count their suburbs? You know what I mean? So, well, and that's the thing. You have to have the access to the population. The other thing, too, is you have to have the ability to get there. Yeah. You know, that's always been the thing about Ottawa is it's like people don't want to drive to right. where it's located. So they're going to move it eventually. Right. So once they move it, yeah, you're going to have much easier access. But, you know, you start putting these stadiums and things on the outskirts, it makes it a little difficult to travel depending on where people are generally going to be coming from. You know, that's like, think of it this way. What if the United Center was closer to downtown in Chicago? Would as many people coming from the subs want to go there? Honestly, I doubt it. Of course, it's a Chicago market. They're still going to sell out, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be a different mix. I think, honestly, if it was downtown, it would be easier to get to because the United Center is not downtown. It's like north of downtown and a bit west of downtown. So it's kind of like it's not the most convenient place to get to. Like if it was it in- is if you don't live downtown. It then you is. don't have to go downtown. Right, exactly. But it's not it's not the easiest. Is it can you get to it? Yes. Is, is it possible? Dweller, yes. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah, if you're a suburban person, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Location is everything as far as where a rink goes. Now, looking at Quebec City, because just to play, you know, devil's advocate, would I love to see the Nordiques come back? Of course. I love their colors. I liked watching them play. I knew they were a terrible team. I knew they were going to turn it around. They turned it around just in time to relocate to Colorado and win the Stanley Cup and become a great team for 10 years. I guess it sucks to be a Quebec fan after 1995 (laughs) because the team grew to what it was building all along. But their population as of 2017 is 542,000. So half a million, half a million, 542,000 Second largest city in the province of Quebec to Montreal. Montreal has a population of 1.7 million. So, I mean, it's only a third of the size as Montreal. Um, They do have a rink that is NHL ready, the Videotron Center, which was built in 2015, and it seats 18,259. A little less than 10 years old. 
I know every year it becomes less state-of-the-art, but 2015 is still pretty recent. So, I mean, could they host an NHL team tomorrow? They absolutely could. Are they going to? They absolutely won't because they're in the East. Come on. You know you have problems when the Nashville Predators play in the Western Conference. Well, I don't even think it's as much about where the teams are located because I'm sure they'd find a way to balance it somehow or figure something out. Yeah, Detroit's like, nope, can't Detroit, send us back yeah, to the Western I was Conference. Say, uh-uh, ain't ha- nope, no backsies. Detroit's that team that you're like, well, they're in the West, now they're in the East. All right, now they're back in the West. Oh, we're sending them back to the East again. Right. Or they're like that middle-of-the-road team where it's like they could go, they could go either way. Look, there's no doubt – you know, we could talk about this all day long. There's no doubt that the NHL, and I put this solely on them, the NHL has royally, royally botched this whole entire thing. And I'm not going to call it an experiment, because like you said, it's been going on for a long time. That's way longer than an experiment goes on. But it's the league. You know, the league's had numerous times to step in and do something and try to get something done. They could have stepped in on the Coyotes' behalf long ago and tried to work something out with the various locales. They could have done a lot of things differently, and they just didn't. And look, now you got this team that's floundering around. Yeah, the Coyotes haven't been good for who knows how long. They haven't made a playoff game, and I can't even tell you the last time the Coyotes made the playoffs. They're playing in a 5,000-seat arena, which, while it's fun to watch and you like the environment and everybody's all jazzed up and you know screaming and yelling and stuff like that, it's 5,000 seats. I mean, max capacity in that place is like what they were drawing in their regular arena. Right. So when you have a seating capacity that's that small, you know, of course it's going to sound loud and ruckus and everything else because it's so tiny. But now, not only that, now you've put the team in a position where it's going to have problems expanding in the future because who's going to want to go there and who's going to want to play there? When you have like your star player already talking between his agent and the team about whether or not he wants to stay with the team anymore. And you have your number one prospect picked third overall last year, Logan Cooley, essentially telling the team, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to stay in college (laughs) rather than come and play for essentially a trash can. It's bad. It's really bad. The optics of this are really bad. I don't know how you fix it. Honestly, I really don't. That's the thing. I mean, sometimes you just need a blank slate to start over. Well, we're past the blank slate spot. I honestly don't know how you fix this. I don't know how you create a situation where they stay in Arizona. And I also don't know how you create a situation where you can move them somewhere. Well, what's the better, which, which I don't do you know. think would be better? Dissolve the team. What else? Mm-hmm. What other options do they have? They're not going to contract. No, they wouldn't. Plus, you can't force somebody to sell, but you can certainly make it difficult for them not to. Right. Um, I don't know how much more difficult this can get. I think relocation is the best option. Question is where. I'm sure yeah. we'll find that out in the next couple of years. But Yeah, well, I don't know. It's just kind of fun to talk about. They at I... least have a couple more years to sweat it out over there at Arizona State. So. Yeah. Be funny if uh, it... Did end up in Atlanta again. No, it's not going. It's definitely not going east. They got too many teams in the east. They really want a team in the west. Um, I mean, here's the other thing, too. To my point about players aren't going to want to play there. You know how many complaints were lodged with the Players Association this year? 
of playing conditions, locker room conditions, amenities and things that were provided to teams and players as they tried to come through there. There were a lot. Come through where? They were filed with the Players Association and the and the league. About Arizona or just yeah. everywhere? Yeah, about playing in Arizona. Oh, okay. By not just the visiting players, by the actual Arizona players. They don't release who actually sends those, but they do talk about that there were complaints filed. So, I mean, how long does the Players Association sit back and they're just like, and they don't do anything? Representation is going to step in at some point. And you got to guarantee that when players come up for free agency and everything else, I don't imagine Arizona is going to be high on people's priority lists. No, not unless they uh, have a career ending injury and they just need to be on a team in order to collect their payroll for the next three years. that's, That's a whole different discussion. You know, Arizona, where contracts go to get buried. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about the Leafs, the Maple Leafs, not to be confused with Leaf trading cards. The Maple Leafs. Oh, the Maple Leafs. So here's the thing. Everybody knows I have no love lost for Canadian hockey teams. That's just me. That's my Homer Americanism shining through. But, you know, Toronto fans can be extremely obnoxious a lot of times, especially on social media. I think all fan bases can, I guess. So I shouldn't pigeonhole just the Maple Leafs fans, but they're very vocal. So when they got knocked out of the playoffs, I was I was extremely happy. So don't cancel me for saying that, but, you know, that's just me. I have no skin in this game. My team's been long blown out, but my team got wiped out by Chicago. So that tells you how well we did. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so uh, Toronto has their press conference and everything afterward, talk to the players, talk to the coaches, and, Talk to the GM, and I guess it was made clear to uh, administration that they were supposed to take the high road and do the typical, we fought hard, we'll get them next year kind of speeches. And I guess Kyle Dubas didn't get the memo. Essentially, more or less poured his heart out (laughs) at the press conference. Talked about how, essentially, how sad he was and how disappointed and everything else, and he didn't know what the future held and he didn't know if he was still going to be the GM and if he wanted to be still in Toronto and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't that long ago that him and Shanahan sat down and Shanahan was like, if you want to stay, I'm good if you do, because I like what you've done and I like what direction the team's going and, you know, let's do it longer. And that was kind of how it sat down. But then he goes out there and says all of that and Shanahan turns around. He's like, yeah, okay. Uh, you don't want to be here or you don't know you want to be here. So you're not here. And that was the end of that. And Dubas got sent walking. And I guess it came out that he sent an email, I guess, that morning when uh, Shanahan had the press conference saying that he did want to be there. And you're like, oh, yeah, I said all that stuff. Psych, I, I really do want to be there. And it, by that time, it was, it was, I guess, too late for any of that. So. Of course, we only get one side of the story. We got the team's side and Shanahan's side. We haven't heard the Dubas side. and He's been asked for comment, and he won't give it. So, I don't know. It's interesting. It's a mess. It's definitely a mess, that's for sure. Because despite the team not winning, I think a lot of people were on board with 
what the organization was doing and how Kyle Dubas was handling it. Yeah, he didn't really make any crazy type moves, but you did see there towards the end of this year and last year, you know, having to sit back and watch skill, 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 skill. And then you get to close to the end of the season or to near playoff time and get wasted because, oh, yeah, the other team has skill too, but they have something you don't have, and that's defense and sandpaper. <laughs> well, they tried to fix their team a little bit and had some sandpaper. It worked. They got out of the first round finally. But, you know, that didn't last, of course. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I've always been the guy – and my kids roll their eyes at this all the time. I say defense wins championships. I've said that since I was little because that's what my dad and my uncles told me. And I'm sure that that's what, you know, my grandpa told them. And so it's just handed down. Defense wins championship. It's just plain and simple. The teams that play defensively and are solid defensively, they'll win almost every single time. They'll win. So you can pile your team up with as much skill as you possibly want. But if you don't have anything on the back end, if you don't have goaltending, if you don't have deep defensive lines, if you don't have players out there that are willing to get into the corners and grind, if you don't have guys that have the sandpaper that are willing to stick up for people and, you know, do what they need to do, especially come playoff time, you're not going to have that much success. And, you know, as much as Toronto's improved, it wasn't enough. And of course, being the center of a hockey universe and having microphones and cameras in your face 24 seven, of course, doesn't help because you're pressed with these issues all the time. Why can't you win? Why didn't you win? What's wrong? How do we fix it? Every single moment of every waking day, it can't be easy to work for that organization. It can't be easy to play for that organization, but sticking a microphone in a guy's face where you know, he worked this whole season and all they talked about was this is the year, this is the year, and they finally make it out of the first round. So really it's gonna be the year. I mean, that was deflating. So you put a camera in the guy's face, of course he's upset. Of course he's sad. What do you expect him to do? It's just yeah, you know, I guess he wore his heart on his sleeve and that cost him, so he said he didn't want to go and look for another job. He said he wanted to spend time with family now and this, that, and the other. But it was reported today that the Penguins got permission, or I shouldn't say the Penguins, the the Fenway group, the owners of the Penguins, okay. received permission to talk to Kyle Dubas for the GM position in Pittsburgh. Ooh, that would make you happy. The thing I'm asking myself is, why did they need permission? I mean, is he still under contract or something, even though he was fired? Is that why they had to ask permission? I don't think they need to ask permission if he's fired. But the thing is, is that, like, if you have a contract and you're fired and you had years left on that contract, you still get paid. When a coach has years on his contract and they just say, I'm going to spend time with family and and, yeah. and reassess. It, it's like, it, hey, I'm making Mike six Babcock still getting paid? Yeah, he's still probably getting his $8 million a year to do nothing. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I get that. I just didn't know if there was some kind of like time frame or or something required for that. Because I'm like, why do they even have to ask permission? But I mean, yeah, I, I like the guy. He's an analytics type guy. The Penguins haven't had that really. I shouldn't say they haven't had that really. They haven't had that. End of sentence. Do you think that the pressure is really the reason why the Toronto can't succeed? Like the media pressure? Because all really popular teams experience that. The big market teams are always under the microscope way more than a smaller market team. Would you consider Pittsburgh to be a big market hockey team? It's decent. Decent. I mean, it's, but it's, it's definitely way better than it used to be in the 80s. But, but at but, the same time, hockey's hockey during hockey season. Not many people other than the exclusive hockey reporters. And if there's news to report, right. will even bother with hockey outside of the NHL season. Right. I, I guess what I'm getting at is the Stanley Cup, they say it's the hardest trophy in sports to win. And I'm biased, of course, for hockey, but I believe that. But I, I feel too. you can't buy a championship like the 2002 Red Wings did. You can't do that anymore with the cap, right? And then also it's it's a combination of things. It's like if you win a championship, it's kind of like the right place at the right time with the right people against the right opponents. Like all of those things have to like fall in line. It can't just be like we're the Red Wings from 2002 or we're the Canadians from 1978 and we're just going to steamroll over our opponents with our totally stacked roster that doesn't happen anymore right so it's like everything has to be perfect in order for you to win even if it's not perfect even if like you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and Steven Stamkos has that injury and he comes and he plays like one game and scores one goal on one shot or something that still helped but would it have been better if he was in all the games and at perfect health of course it would but I guess what I'm getting at is that like you can't blame Toronto or you can't blame Kyle Dubas. Everything has been perfect for them. Now, I will say, though, here's where you could blame them. They don't have goaltending. I really got nothing nothing to say about that. I mean, have they had a decent goaltender since Freddie Anderson? No, that's always been Toronto's problem. And as long as this show's been on the air and we've talked about Toronto, that's been Toronto's problem. We've never not talked about their issues on the back end. Right. Because it's always a defensive breakdown. And that's the thing. You can, like I said, you can stack as much skill as you want. You can roll four lines of pure skill. If you don't have defense on the back end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter all the highlight real plays that you can make offensively. If you score four goals every game but give up six, you still lost. So at least in the 80s, Grant Fuhrer could keep a couple out of the net. So they'd win, you know, seven to four or eight to five or something of that nature. But that was a hockey score in the 80s. It was. But you could you could do that back then. Yeah, and you know, I mean it was a different style can't. of play. You can't go toe to toe, punch for punch, and just hope to outscore everybody. If it's going to be a slugfest, you got to have something in the back end. Right. I mean, yeah. Do I want to see a twelve to eleven hockey game? Sure, that'd be fun. I think after about five or six goals, though, it's like, come on, man, it's just. Just put your stick out there and block something. Tighten it up a little, right? Yeah, because it's a different sport now than it was 30 years ago. Like I said, they've done some stuff to fix on the I mean, they signing Ryan O'Reilly, I thought was a great deal. You know, they got Luke Shan on defense. You know, they got Jake McCabe. These are all guys that that have that extra, I don't know what the right word is, that extra grit, that extra mm-hmm. 
I call it sandpaper. Yeah, it's your sandpaper type type player, sure. Truculence. Um, <laughs> it, it's just that's the kind of thing that that you need to go to go further, and you can analytics this thing to death. Oh, people will. Yeah, and they will, and and that's the thing. That's the kind of GM. At least that's the background. I can't even say that's the background. I mean, look, Kyle Dubas was never a GM. Yeah, I mean, he was just the guy that they brought in. He wasn't a GM. He didn't have any GM experience. So you can't say that he brings this all, all this experience. And not. No, he was just given this job. You know, here, you be the GM. Okay, fine. Well, now he has experience, and whatever now, team hires sure. him gets the benefit of like, okay, I tried this in Toronto and it didn't work. So now I'm going to try this in yeah. whatever city hires me next. And that's okay. It's like you can second guess yourself when you change locations. Yeah. So if he got hired in Pittsburgh, would I be mad? I don't think so. Nah. It's time. Obviously, I shouldn't say it's time for a change because I already made the change. Right. But yeah. It, you it'd be interesting. The last guy. Uh, no. No, no, I wasn't. He's uh, once a flyer, always a flyer. Yeah, we're talking about Ron Hextall, in case you're wondering. Want to talk about some sports card stuff? I mean, kind of, they're obligated to, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I want to start with PWCC. I don't know how you can, like, be sick with COVID and still stay on top of this. You're like, eh, Sal, I'm dying. Oh, and Fanatics bought PWCC. Eh, eh. You know, like, what? So I only I'm only on top of that because it happened today. Today, as of this recording, right? Well, it's funny that you say that because it didn't happen at the time. And if you recall, one of the first things this morning that I brought up to you in our discussion about what we should potentially talk about today, I brought up the possibility that PWCC could be bought. So that was like nine o'clock this morning, if you yep. recall. Yeah. So that was before any of that happened. And look, for those of you that don't know, first of all, PWCC, the auction house that sells lots and lots and lots and lots of cards that's been much maligned for various reasons over the years, namely shill bidding, one of the big reasons why they got kicked off of eBay, one of the big reasons they started their own platform. So the deal with PWCC is you say, hey, I got this 52 Mickey Mantle Tops card and it's graded an eight by PSA. And PWCC says, okay, we will sell that on your behalf. That's what they do. Okay, they yeah, sell. It's essentially under- an auction house is really what it is. Kind of like eBay, only you can do it through them or like a golden where you do it through them. Right. But the big thing is they have their own vault. So they have all the merchandise. It's there. So that's the thing. They're their own auction platform that they created that runs all the auctions, runs all their sales, and does all of that front to bottom, front to top, bottom, top to bottom. Wow, what am I doing? Top to bottom, front to back. There you go. Um, so, yeah, so they're self-contained when it comes to that. And they're a vault. Simply put, they store all of everybody's stuff. Well, they can if you want, right? You might be a collector. Yeah, you can have your stuff shipped. Buys course. the card and wants to have it. Or you might say, you know what? I got a card here worth half a million dollars. 
I don't want this in the house. I don't want it in the safety deposit box. I'll keep it at PWCC because then if I decide to sell it, they already have it there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Or you do what a ton of people do on PWCC and also on Golden is you buy the stuff off their auctions that your best price that you can get it for. You keep it in your vault and you resell it. And the card yeah. never changes hands. You make money and off you go. Now, the problem with all of this is they've come under some scrutiny over the past few months because, number one, not too long ago, they had a ton of layoffs that happened. And the other thing, there's been a lot of people complaining that shipping has essentially shut off. If you got something through one of their auctions, 24, 48 hours, it was shipped out. People were reporting weeks or longer of things being shipped. So they're starting to have customer service issues. So it was like, what's going on at PWCC? So that's when all these rumors started flying. Like, what's going on? What's going on? The biggest issue, though, I think, was these loans that they were giving out. And, you know, some people know this already. Other people don't. They took out private equity financing back in September for like $175 million. Don't quote me on that. I think that's what it was. And they used all of the proceeds from the loan to expand this loan program that they had. So you're going to essentially be offered the options to take out a loan against the insured value of the cards that are held in their vault. So if you vault a bunch of your cards, and let's say you have a million dollars worth of cards in their vault, you can take out a loan at 40 to 50% of whatever the insured value is of the cards that you have in your vault. So you take out these loans, and you'd have to read the fine print on how they're set up. They all have a 1% originization fee. They're going to give you cash. They're going to keep your card as collateral. And I don't know the details. You'd have to go into some of the fine print and maybe look at a actual loan application or whatever that they had for them. I'm sure there's plenty of exceptions and whatnot involved with those, but essentially, so you get all these people borrowing and what you find is all the high end stuff that's on there, the super high end, what is it all? It's all this ultra modern stuff that everybody's going goo goo gaga over for the last few years. And these NFL quarterbacks that have barely won a game in the NFL and not won a Super Bowl and may never win a Super Bowl that are being sold like they've won 17 Super Bowls. And it's like crazy basketball cards of players that are anywhere close to being the greatest of all time or carry guns around and get suspended for it. And guys like that, players that didn't pan out that weigh 400 pounds, you know, crazy basketball cards that should not cost that much. So what happened? that everybody's been complaining about for the last year, year and a half, the market on ultra modern has basically tanked. That's all anybody talks about. So guess what? All these 40 to 50% loans on insured value that were taken out. Now these cards aren't worth it. So what am I going to do if I took out all this loan of money against these high end cards and prices dropped? <laughs> Sorry, you have my card. I'm going to keep your money. Have a nice day. Right? So people are bailing on these loans. PWCC has all the cards. They don't have any cash. 
They took out this equity financing. I'm sure the lenders on that end are like, hey, where's our money? And like, we don't have any money. We just have cards. So if somebody's got a loan and they're not up to date on their loan, the bank calls in your loan. Guess what? You're screwed. You better pay. Right. So that's on PWCC to come up with that money. The high end hits the market because what are they going to do? They have to come up with this money. They have no cash. All they have is the collateral from these quote unquote possibly defaulted loans that they've given out to these collectors. So now if you look over the last few months, all these super high end ultra modern cards that hadn't been released into the wild recently or at all. So all of a sudden become available through their auctions. You can't tell me that's not them trying to trying to turn some money to probably pay off these loan payments. Again, you'd have to go back and read these, read the fine print on these because I don't know if there's discretion to that. If you default on the loan, you know, you took our money, we keep your card. I mean, I don't know if it's as simple as something like that, but I mean, look, if you loan any financial institution, if you borrow money from, they're gonna come knocking one way or another. If you don't have the money to pay for your house, they take your house. If you don't have the money to pay for your car, they take your car. So if you don't have the money to pay for these cards, they take the cards. I guess my question is, is would they be borrowing money to buy more cards? Could be. Who knows I what mean, they're buying. But that's, look, that's the idea. You take this money, you buy more cards, you get over leveraged on money that you now borrowed. So now what? Now you have twice as many cards that you can't afford and can't pay for because you used all the equity supposed equity that's now completely upside down you know it's no different than what happened in the in the housing market it's just on a lower scale but here's the thing these margin calls come in they can't pay they have to liquidate some of this money and try to come up with it i mean there were bankruptcy rumors going around for a while what would that have done i mean seriously if pwcc went bankrupt look at what happens to everybody's inventory you know with that vault like it was so Da, 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 on their white horse in rides fanatics right and fanatics is there to save the day because what does fanatics do they just buy everything and that's all they've been doing so now not only do they have all the sports licensing except for hockey or i should say except for the nhl they have all the major sports licensing they bought tops right so they had the manufacturing portion of it. They had the licensing portion of it. They already own the apparel side. They're heavily dipping into the sports betting side of it. What do they have left to do? They need a platform to sell, right? And they need a vault to keep the stuff in. And they need a grading company. If they get those three other things, they've now become their own self-contained empire so guess what in rides fanatics to save the day and they nail two of those off the list right off the bat they get their marketplace that's fully functional they don't have to do any infrastructure to get it to work it's theirs and they got the vault so the only thing left is the grading company and there's plenty out there that they could go after and try to build but here's the thing what happens now you got pwcc who's got this reputation of being this whether you're on their side or not I make millions and millions of dollars of PWCC. I love them. They're the best. Or they 
provide nothing but a shill bidding service that's dishonest and screws people out of money. Okay, fine. Fanatics comes in, fills that space, changes the name. It's no longer PWCC. It's now Fanatics Marketplace. Within a year, nobody remembers who PWCC is. It's now Fanatics. Everybody forgets about all the shill bidding, forgets all of that kind of stuff. But to the bigger point, Fanatics now covers all of the high-end market that was just about ready to tank, right? They just saved it. So all of these collectors with all these super high-end cards that should be nowhere near what they are, this artificial market, as I call it. Keep in mind, I'm just talking out my rear end here, but this is just my opinion. Um, so Fanatics gets essentially covers the entire high-end market, protects it from going under, protects it from the sell-off, and all the fanboy high rollers get bailed out, and the marketplace doesn't tank, and everybody's like, yay, Fanatics, you saved us. So that gives them more, uh, more clout. So, you know, now they have the marketplace that they can buy and sell. So, you know, whatnot, they'll be gone, I'm sure. I mean, really, who, who else can compete with that? You got nobody. You got ComC, you got Golden, you got eBay. No one's going to touch eBay. I mean, I know people say, oh, FedEx is going to get... No, eBay is like a country on the earth. No one's going to touch eBay. It will always be eBay. But their vault program sucks. Oh, eBay vault? Yeah, eBay vault program sucks. It's because I don't think there's card people in charge of it. That's why I think it's definitely skeptical at best. Well, I don't think they have card people on staff because... The way they set up the categories now, it's a lot harder. Like, remember when you used to have sports trading cards and then you had baseball was one category, football was another category, yeah. basketball, was, hockey was another category. Now they just made that all one category, sports trading cards. But then they have filters that you could apply. But like, for instance, like, you know, my obsession with the Cardophilium Hockey Hall of Fame set. That's a set that I monitor on eBay, even though... I have the 83 set. I have the 85 trading card set. I have the 87 trading card set. I basically have all the sets. I don't really need to buy any more of them, but I still monitor it just for some reason. It's in my saved searches. So sure. once upon a time, whenever something that was listed called Hall of Fame in sports trading cards, subcategory hockey was listed, I'd get the result for that. Now it's like I get anything that says Hall of Fame. Like Hall of Fame set. So if it's a baseball Hall of Fame set, why? Because it's it's no longer hockey is no longer its own category. I mean, I even remember when hockey minors was a separate category from hockey NHL. And I was just like, wow, I really like that granularity, right? So eBay has definitely taken a step backwards with some of the things that it does for trading cards. The vault, I think that's funny just because just to give people a little bit of history, and we talked about this in the past on a past episode, but PWCC was basically accused of encouraging people to shill bid. And people would share emails that they'd get from people from PWCC saying, hey, you need to bid on your item so that that drives up the price, or you need to get people that you know to bid on the item to drive up the price. That's shill bidding. So yeah, they eBay, were accused of it, and I'm pretty sure they did it. <laughs> so. I'm pretty sure they did it too, because if you looked at like 
what PWCC cards sold for, it was more than it's always more. And you never knew if they were ever paid for, and they, they always pop back up for sale again. It was a joke, right? A complete joke. Yeah, and then there's Probstein, and that's another one that's kind of you know that's its own thing. But Probstein didn't go out and create his own marketplace so this he could true. bail on eBay. Yeah. But did PWCC bail on eBay or did eBay kick off PWCC for shield bidding? Because then eBay launched its own vault service like a little bit after that. PWCC is like, hey, we got our own marketplace because we got kicked off of eBay. But then eBay is like, well, hey, we got our own vault. Check us out, right? So I'm pretty sure the truth of the matter was that PWCC had already been working on their marketplace and eventually was going to go to that anyway. And so when it got to the point where they were pushed off of the platform by eBay, they didn't really need to respond to it because they're right. like, screw you guys, we're going home. And right. That's what they did. There's a little bit of an acrimonious relationship there between eBay and PWCC, how it ended. I think it's crazy that Fanatics is buying a marketplace. I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense. You like, knew it was going to happen because okay, of so, the direction they were taking. So Fanatics says, hey, we're going to make this 22-karat gold rookie card. I know I'm giving a really crazy idea here, but let's just say, like, we're going to make a gold-plated card with diamonds on it, right? And it's going to sell for $40,000 because this is going to be the ultimate trading card. And, you know, there's going to be someone who buys it. And they'll be like, hey, I'll buy it. And then they're going to need a place to store it. They got the PWCC vault. Then they're going to want to resell it. And Fanatics wants a piece of that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, card companies don't get a piece of the action once the card is on the secondary market. Once that card gets shipped from Upper Deck EPAC to you and you sell it, they don't get anything of that. But if I'm Fanatics and I'm making cards and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make high-end stuff, but we'll hold on to it for people and then we'll sell it on their behalf and we'll collect a royalty of that. Yeah, that's win-win-win. Well, we've been saying this since Fanatics came in and tried to take over everything, right? They wanted a card license. They got one. Then they got two. Then they got three. You know, they wanted a live breaking platform. You know, they have that. They wanted an auction house. They now have that. They wanted a vault. They now have that. They wanted a manufacturer. They got Sorry, that. Sorry, what was the live breaking platform that they got? They have their own. They've already talked about it. It's been oh, in, right. It's in the works, and they're going to roll it out at some point or another. So all of these things together. Not only that, think about this. PWCC, as much as everybody – I shouldn't say everybody. As much as there are a lot of people that are smarter than others that don't trust them, a lot of freaking people use PWCC. A lot. Like, a lot, a lot. This gives fanatics access to all of their business. And they do high-end. I mean, PWCC really is into the high-end stuff. So these are like, when I say high rollers, that's what I really mean. These are high-end dealers. I would say mid to high-end dealers. But a lot of the high-end. And so now fanatics has access to all of that business. So... You're going to control distribution of the product that you manufacture and say who can get it, who can break it, who can buy it. And then they go and actually buy your cards and they go and get them graded and then they give them back to you to sell them a second time. And they're going to keep them in your vault too and pay you more money to store them there too. (laughs) 
I mean, it's really what we boiled down. They're controlling their own narrative. Yep. Yep. Trading cards as we know it is dead. It's gone. I mean, I'm not trying to be that doom and gloom guy, but I mean, honestly, I said earlier, Sue's posed the question, you know, what are your thoughts on Fanatics buying PWCC? You know, my comment was, look, it's the best thing to happen to the high rollers of the ultra modern cards in the marketplace that they use since COVID. It's the best thing to happen to them. COVID was the first best thing because they made all their money. Now they're going to keep all their money because Fanatics coming in gives them anti-tank protection. Number two, Fanatics gets exactly what they want. They got a fully functional platform for auctions and they got a vault. And C, we're doomed. Is basically what I said. And it's true. That's what I believe. Because if you're looking at being involved in any part of that realm of the card collecting world, you're in for a huge, huge change over the next 24 to 36 months. Huge. You're going to need a lot of money to play this game. Yeah. Now, those of us that sit here and buy common cards and put our sets together and you know, buy singles and stuff like that, we'll probably all still be fine. But the rest of you, I'm shaking my finger at you. You can't see, but I'm shaking my finger. Okay, shall we move on to some happier stuff? Yes. Leaf art of hockey. <laughs> move on to happier stuff, and then you bring up Leaf. Okay, that's not, yeah. That's all not right. happy for a lot of people. Okay, yeah. Okay, let me <laughs> let me throw this out real quick because I actually drew the ire of Brian Gray, the CEO of Leaf, because I made a comment. This was about the Leaf card. They got their reimagined, so they had a card of like Barack Obama playing basketball. They also had a card of the Pope playing basketball. Okay, Obama played basketball. I don't know if the Pope played basketball, but whatever i'm sure some religious person will probably find it amusing and pay the 10 bucks for it or whatever there's another card of joe biden sleeping at his desk because he's sleepy joe and it's funny that he's old and he likes to nap or whatever okay whatever. what about the conseco um you know i'm a biologist chemist mixing his (laughs) i thought that card was funny jose conseco mixing like drugs in a lab like he's making his own steroids or something that's stupid. That's just that's kind of funny. But it also of... harkens back to remember the the very first um, print on demand card that they made was the picture of the COVID nineteen virus, and they like released that, and everybody's like, ah, oh, this was so insensitive. How can you release a card that looks like this? Yeah, a close up of the COVID nineteen yeah. virus, a microscopic yeah. view of it. I thought the first card they did was the Harambe card back in twenty sixteen. Oh yeah, that could have been it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a lot of. So a lot of copies. But anyway, they had a reimagined card of Vladimir Putin and Zelensky from the Ukraine. And they look like boxers about to box. And there was outcry about this card because yeah, it was like it was like the Rocky Ivan Drago promotional photo. Yeah. Only the backdrop for this is a senseless war that's killed over 120,000 people already. But Leaf thinks it's funny to reimagine that as a good old-fashioned French match price fight, right? Like, oh, look, but they're boxers, and it's funny because they don't like each other because Putin's trying to take over the Ukraine, and the Ukraine is defending itself against, you know, an imperial aggressor. 
So then Leaf took the card down and they said, oh, we don't know how it got up on the website. We made an internal decision to not sell it. And it's like, uh, yeah, but you were selling it. It was actually listed on your site. So I retweeted that, whomever tweeted it out with the picture. I just said, hey, whenever, you know, whenever you think Leaf can't go any lower, the bottom falls out. Now, keep in mind that Leaf, you know, they did a card about Donald Trump announcing that he was running for election. This is the same guy who tried to overthrow the government, January 6, 2021, right? But that's okay. Let's make a trading card of him. And then forgive my lack of memory. Uh, who was the Buffalo Bills player who was injured on the field? Like he was dead for like a few minutes and they brought him back to life. Damar Hamlin. Damar Hamlin. Thank you. So Leaf made a card like, Miracles do happen. Damar Hamlin is conscious again in the hospital or whatever, right? And it wasn't a picture of him in the hospital. It was a picture of him on the field. But it was just like, okay, you're making a print-on-demand card of Damar Hamlin regaining consciousness? And then they're like, oh, oh but we're going to donate the proceeds to his charity. And it's like, really? Really? Because you didn't say that before, but now you're saying that. So I think they just do a lot of tasteless stuff. And it's like, okay, yes, we're talking about it. That's great. But is that what we want to talk about them about? What's the old saying? No such thing as bad publicity. Mm. When it comes to a company and comes to marketing, if people are talking about you, they're talking about you. Good, bad, or otherwise. Well, whether you but, agree with it, whether it's a political thing, whether it's a human rights thing, whether it's a taste thing. It could be anything. I don't agree with half the crap that they do, especially on the print-on-demand side. But with that said, then there's the side of the actual product that they put out, where it's actual like boxed product you can buy and open packs and whatever. And they just came out with a product that we talked about probably almost a year ago, and that's Leaf Art of Hockey. So 2122, so it's last year's product, Art of Hockey. And just to give the facts, about $480 per box, you get four cards. But tell us about the four cards you can get, because they look nice. Well, there's all sorts of various inserts and stuff like that as part of the set. But it's got a whole different line through the checklist of so many different things. And oh, you're just, just say autographs, man. You're, you're like keeping us into so many different things and so many not, inserts and so many not, nice cards. Yeah. They're not all autographs because there are some where they're just memorabilia cards, but most of the base cards are autographed and there's various levels of those with different parallels, you know, red, purple, black, emerald, all that kind of stuff. Like they usually have, but the checklist is, is really good. You know, they have a, Art of Champions set where it's all players that won the Stanley Cup. Um, and those are in like Spectrum hollow foil. Um, those are all auto products. They have like iconography, which are also autoed. Quadography, four players signed. The rule of three, where they have three players signed on a card. You know, they have these visual art cards that have like auto relics in them. You probably saw the mock-up for the, the Walk on Water set. Those are autoed also. So it's a very auto and memorabilia-heavy product. But I'll tell you what, the artwork that's on these is really well done. It reminds me of like the In the Game Enshrined set 
uh, from 2010. Probably the same uh, artist. I, kinda, I don't know. Kind of sure, harkens but... back to like you know some of the upper deck masterpieces, uh, even some of the painting cards from the old upper deck checklists. Just really good subjects, really good quality designs, and just a huge selection of autograph potential. I'm looking at a few cards that I'm seeing right here, and these are like promo images. So, of course, they're going to tout they're really nice cards, like the best ones you can get. But here's a painting of Gordie Howe, and it's numbered one out of one, and it's got an autograph on it. Of course, it's a sticker that's been applied to the card, but that's okay because Mr. Hockey passed away many years ago. And so they took a sticker that he signed back then, and they've just been slowly putting them out on cards here and there. You know, here's a card of. It's a Mario Lemieux card, but it's the patch from his 25th anniversary jersey, the 25th anniversary logo uh, that they wore during the 91-92 season. So it's the penguin that's inside the 2 and the 5 for the 25, for the 25th anniversary. And so they cut that patch and they put it on a card. And it's just awesome because it's an awesome patch from the 91 season and it fills up the whole card. Here's a rule of three. Another autograph of Gordie Howe, Mario Lemieux, and Bobby Hull. It's numbered one out of one. I mean, I couldn't argue with any of those autographs, but to get all three of them on one card is pretty amazing. I mean, here's a Joe Sackick dual memorabilia card that's numbered out of five. You know, with me and jersey cards, it's hit or miss, but this is nice. I mean, this is a nice, I mean, it's a great player. If you pull a one of five Joe Sackett card, you're gonna you're probably gonna be happy. And then here's like another one, an iconography of Guy Lafleur and Mike Bossy, and it's autographed by both of them. And I mean, both of these gentlemen passed away within the past couple of years, so to have both of these greats on the same card together, I mean, that's pretty awesome. So it's a nice looking set. This is really tempting. The only rub on it. Is that, yeah, they can't show logos, right? So, like, here's, like, a Marion Hossa card, and the Blackhawks logo has been airbrushed off of it, but then, you know, there's a piece of the Blackhawk logo on the card itself. Well, and that's something I noticed, like, the way around things, a lot of times with these patches, is you actually have the patch pieces of the logos. So, it, well, it's you like, can show yeah, that. it's not yeah. on the picture, but... Here's a piece of the patch that shows it. Right, because you're selling a card that contains a piece of a logo or, or a small logo that's been pulled from the card. Yeah, I mean, like with In the Crease by uh, President's Choice Trading Cards. I mean, I found a Carter Hutton card that pulled the NHL jersey shield from his jersey and mounted it to the card. And it's like, okay, so they can't show an NHL logo on the card, but they can use a piece of a game-worn jersey, and that piece of the jersey just so happens to be the little NHL logo that's on the back hem of the jersey. If you look at the checklist overall uh, of what's available to get, I mean, yeah, is is every single player on that list a Hall of Famer? Uh, pretty much. You know, at least for the, the initial base cards, you know, is everybody in the entire print run a Hall of Famer? No, but there's mostly legends that if they're not a Hall of Famer, they're definitely a legend. So is it high risk, high reward? Depends on what you consider high risk. I mean, most of the boxes right now are about 279 for a box. And that's four cards, so you do the oh, math. That's like 279? 
Yeah, so that's like seven oh, bucks a car. Where did I get four eighty a box? Oh, they're two seventy nine. Oh dear, that's way different. Yeah, so it's about seventy bucks a card. All right, three bills. That's a little more digestible. It is. In fact, a couple of places I saw it was two seventy nine. Apparently, you can buy them on eBay now for about two fifty. So, I guess the longer it's out there, the price starts to go down, and as the newness wears off, it starts to go down. So, anywhere from two fifty to two seventy. You know, yeah, it's four cards, but man, some of these are really nice. And I can't see how you can get skunked out of four cards, really. There at least has to be one that's well worth it out of the four. I think when you have something like that that's packed by hand, they're not going to put in four bad cards or four low-end. I mean, to give my example from my four card pro set memories box one of the autographs was wendell clark and i think it was numbered out of five and you're like all right wendell clark i'm not really a fan but you know wendell clark's a popular player to the right person that is an amazing card to have the other card was a Guy lafleur autograph numbered one out of one and that was the amazing card so that card to me was worth the box you know what i mean where i could just go wow Maybe it's not a $150 card, but to me, it's a $150 card. Like, to me, this made me happy that this was in the box and everything else was like, okay, this is nice, this is nice, this is nice, you know. Well, and that's the other thing, too. As you go through the checklist, if you look at all the various sets that are in there, I mean, really, I'm, like, pulling up a couple just to see, like, who's the worst out of this grouping. Like, I'm looking at the Artist Opus Gold set. There's 10 Mm -hmm. cards in there. Probably the worst one out of that group. Anti Niemi, maybe, would be the, the worst player out of that group. And we're talking within a mix of Chris Pronger and Joe Sackick and Marcel Dion and Marion Hosa and Mario Lemieux and Mike Madonna, Matt Sundin, Pat LaFontaine, Paul Correa. So we're talking these are mostly Hall of Famers. Right. And so, like, if that's the worst card you can get, so be it. But guess what? It's also a one-of-one one if you do pull it. Right. And he so, didn't win yeah. the Stanley Cup, so he's yes. not a slouch. But I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I'm not putting this up there with the excitement level I had for um, the SP Signature Legends. But I definitely was looking forward to this set. And from what I've seen so far, uh, with what's out there as far as like single-wise selling on secondary market already, I haven't been disappointed with what I've seen. They look really nice. Let's, so uh, with Leaf, you got to take the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that's like that with any trading card product, right? Like, you're not going to love every card that you pull from every box or every pack or whatever. But well, I meant just... from the company, you got to take the good with the bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess well, so. For for every ridiculous card, there's a set like this. Does it redeem itself? I don't know. Can I overlook a couple goofy print-on-demand cards? In lieu of this? Yeah, probably. That's a real good point. All right, let's wind it down with FLIR Ultra. So Upper Deck um, basically announced that FLIR Ultra was coming back. 21-22 FLIR Ultra, but as an EPAC exclusive product. Now, I got a couple thoughts about this. First of all, some people are like, oh, FLIR Ultra is making a comeback. I don't really feel like FLIR Ultra went away because we had such like FLIR Retro 
that used a lot of the old FLIR Ultra designs. And we had FLIR Ultra in like, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012. I mean, it was a set that was around for a while. I mean, it was around in the 90s and then it kind of went away and then it came back, you know. So it's kind of been here and there. But I don't understand why if you're going to do an EPAC exclusive product where most of the cards are going to be digital anyway. I mean, yes, there's going to be physical cards because EPAC, there's almost always some sort of physical card. Why wouldn't you do this year's players? Why would you do 21-22 instead of 22-23? Like, hey, we're going to make this set and we're going to get people excited about it. We're going to do retro designs of like old FLIR Ultra sets from the 90s. But we're going to base it around last season, even though this season is almost over. So it's like almost two years old already, even though it's it's not even out. I mean, by the time it comes out on June 7th, we'll be in the Stanley Cup finals, just like the 22-23 season is over and you're putting out online exclusive 21-22 cards. Okay, then. I'm thinking this was in the works for a while, and it's just another one of those things that's taken a while to get to there. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, that's fair. Um, I mean, I don't know the answer to that. We would have to consult the Oracle for that one, but... Well, we might have to have an Oracle back on the show. That's what I'm saying, because I, I don't know what the right answer to that is, but I will tell you this. When that announcement came out, I had to look at it like three times going, is this for real? Like, this is a joke, right? And then when I saw it was EPAC only, I'm thinking... Okay, this is even more of a joke, right? But the more I started looking at it and reading about it, I'm like, you know what? This could work. And considering some of the cell sheet photos that they had, that they threw out there, I saw a lot of criticism saying that designs were lazy and that kind of thing. But if you think to all of the other Flare Ultra designs, especially of the ones, let's say, between 05 and 2010, they all looked like this. So kind of, yeah. This is par for the course, I think. And, you know, there's a brand new base design that they've never used before. I know there were a few years in there where it was hard to tell the difference between one year to the next of the base card design for Flare mm -hmm. Ultra. But there's a whole new design this year. And they made a point to emphasize that it's Arena Design that did these. So if you know anything about card design arena is the ones that did uh i'm pretty sure they did all the uh like the pmgs so they're those guys so that's pretty cool but why did you think this was a joke in the beginning because why would they bring this back when they have showcase and skybox yeah i mean because it's another brand skybox seems to be the one where they recycle the fleer brands this is true and so that's why I wondered why they did this. But then I'm like, well, if they can make this a little lower, more affordable end, because if you think about it, the packs on EPAC from the basic cards, which you would probably consider to be the MVPs or the flagship set or Opeachy, which they don't have that on EPAC. They do have platinum, though. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you know, those packs are four bucks, five bucks. You know, I would think having. Something closer to that range for Flare Ultra, I think, makes makes it a little better because the Metal Universe packs on EPAC are like eight, nine bucks a piece. So 
I'm hoping this is going to be something less. We don't know the price point. I think we speculated that it was going to be what Upper Deck Series 1 is selling for. And this year's Upper Deck Series 1 is selling for $549 for an eight-card pack. This is going to be eight cards per pack, 15 packs per box, which is funny because there is no box because it's digital. The box is in your mind. The pack is in your mind. Uh, And then 10 boxes per case. So we're thinking that it's probably going to be about five, six bucks a pack, five fifty a pack seems about right. So some of the highlights here, just to rattle these off, 250 card digital base set with three levels of stacking parallels. So I assume you can merge probably eight or ten copies of each card to make a physical copy that can Correct. then be transferred to your COMC account or your Upper Deck EPAC account. And traded, there will be medallion inserts. If you remember the gold medal medallions and the silver, I don't know if they did silver medallions, but I remember gold and platinum. I remember getting a platinum card once. Return of many vintage inserts. Before you go on on those medallion ones. Yep. I have it on good authority that those are embossed. Ooh. With foil. So... If you remember, like the what year was that? Ninety six or ninety seven, where they were like the all gold. Yes. In, where they were embossed in the back, they're yes. going to be like that, where it's all foil and it's embossed. Those were nice. It doesn't pull off on EPAC very well because you're looking at a digital copy on the screen. Mm-hmm. But those cards live, once you get them in hand, that's what they'll look like. Yeah. Just so happens I have one sitting here on my desk. Here's Key A Bear. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Just like so- that. To those of you who can't see what I'm holding up, it's a card of Anaheim Ducks goaltender Guy Bear, and the background behind him is all gold. So it's a nice looking card. You know, he's in color, but the background behind him is gold. Those are badass. Those look really cool. And I think if I remember correctly, the one that they put on their sell sheet was a Artemi Panarin green one. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, I saw yeah. that. So if you see that, take that picture and imagine that being shiny foil and embossed that's what we're gonna get you know there'll be 50 rookie cards a flare ultra classic insert set including parallels such as emerald numbered up to 10 and black numbered to one cool inserts like ultra ability seeing double and fabulous 50s that take inspiration from classic 90s flare ultra inserts ultra stars or exclamation points acetate cards including gold parallels Rare-themed inserts like Scoring Kings, Slot Machines, which are for grinders, and Premier Padmen goaltenders. Gotta love a good goaltender set. Yeah, actually, I think Slot Machines is kind of a cool name for, yeah, the grinders, the guys that stand in the, you know, the bumper spot right in front of the net and try to tip in that deflection or get that greasy goal on the rebound or whatever. Commemorate the history of Fleer Ultra with a special 30th anniversary set, including autograph parallels. The design is a pickup from the first Fleer Ultra set, 1991 Fleer Ultra Baseball. They should have started with 92 Fleer because that's that's what I remember, 92 Fleer Hockey. I mean, I love that set. To me, it's iconic. Not to get off topic, but the 92 Fleer Ultra, 92-93 Fleer Ultra Hockey set to me, that felt like a real premium set. It wasn't 91-92 Pinnacle. It wasn't 91-92 Top Stadium Club. I know those were marketed as premium sets, but 
to me, really the first really premium hockey set was that 92-93 Fleer Ultra with the gold foil embossing on it and the different photos on the back superimposed over that, like, computer-illustrated hockey rink, or maybe it wasn't computer-illustrated, but it looked cool, you know what I mean? Like, to me, that was, like, the first... I mean, now we wouldn't call it high-end. It's pretty low-end. Anything from the 90s now is, like, the baseline for today. But back then, that was that was a nice set. Well, yeah, because, you know, there wasn't a previous year for Fleur Ultra, and the baseball set was that picture in the middle with the gray top and bottom borders. This is a set that I want to collect, but EPAC is so expensive. And I, I is listen, it, though? Yeah, it kind of is. You'll get one insert per pack. So you're paying five, six bucks to get one real card. Um, well, if you look at the breakdown here, yeah, you're going to get more than one insert in a, in a pack. In fact, if you read through the, the actual numbering and the odds here, mm-hmm. looks like you get two serial numbered cards out of a box it looks like you'll get one pop culture like seven medallions mm-hmm. uh, one of the puck cards five of an assortment between like the 30th anniversary the pizzazz and the ringmasters mm-hmm. so about three per pack Looks like you're going to get about 45 inserts or parallels per box. Yeah. I'm rounding up. I was going to say, yeah, there's like 15 silver foil parallels in a box and maybe another 10 other inserts. So I think they said four autos per case, too. I don't know how many people are going to buy a case of EPAC cards and just sit there, click, 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 click all day long, because that would take a while. Actually, they do have that button where it's open all. I always felt like that button was cheating, but they do have that. Kind of is, yeah, but I could see that. So, like, one thing that I I like about any set where there's, like, merging, well, I'll give you, like, a perfect example. Compendium. And I know this is an old set, but the 1617 Compendium set. I finally completed my set, uh, maybe it was the end of last year, whatever, when I got my most recent ComC order. I think I received it in December or January, somewhere around there. And I got like the last 30 cards I needed to complete my compendium set. You know, people would have to get 10 copies of a card to merge it to make a blue parallel. And then, you know, a lot of people would have that blue parallel and you'd end up getting them for like 30 cents to like maybe a dollar, right? And I feel like something like this, like there's going to be a lot of people, like Tim said, breaking a case and then they're going to be keeping all the hits and they're not going to really care. They'll get rid of the the base cards because they're just digital. Right. But then someone else is going to merge them and sell them for 30 cents, 50 cents, a dollar. So that's like one strategy is you let other people go for the glory. Like I'm going to buy a case and I'm going to, you know, get a Connor McDavid autograph and I'm going to sell it for $5,000 and whoop de doo Right. Okay, if you're not going to buy a bunch of cases or a case or whatever, but you just want to get like the base cards, build the base set or whatever, there's definitely opportunity for that. Yeah, and I'm usually one of those lurks in the background and waits for that stuff to hit EPAC and mm-hmm. waits for a billion of it to hit EPAC mm-hmm. so that I can get it all for a quarter. Dude, I'm like that blue whale that swims with its mouth open and just sucks in all the little fish. 
you eat all the krill? All the krill, but not krill Capri Softs, but like eat all the like 32 cent EPAC cards because you have 90 people selling the same card right. and so supply and demand, you know, so scoop up those cards. I'm glad that Series 1 is finally on EPAC because now I'm going to wait for some of those low-end young guns. I don't want to pay three bucks each for them. I'll just you know, get them for 50, 60 cents, you know, when 92 people are selling the same card. It's the way to do it. So what do you think about the, the – I, mean, I have to ask because everybody was talking about this one, the new pop culture insert set. What do you think? I mean, that? yeah, okay, great. It looks like an Andy Warhol painting. I mean, it like yes. – basically inverts or messes with the colors so that they look bright pink or whatever, you know, so using like those bright pop art colors. There's four different color versions of each one. Oh, okay. So then they're basically doing like the Andy Warhol quad print of the four Marilyn Monroe portraits where they're in different colors. They said there's 11 players in the set and then there's four different color variations of each one see my problem is that they always make the coolest inserts are always the ones that are hard to get and these are one one per box it looks like i know and it's i could see like wanting to track all those downs i mean i felt the same way about those um the ones that look like the video game ones i wanted those to be easier to come by or like whenever they do like the superhero stuff like the fanimation you know like all the stuff that i'd really like be all over they always make those so hard to get. And I guess that's the thing. Like, I think the new Scoring Kings cards look great. I mean, I think they're a nice design. But do we really need a, another, like, Scoring Kings insert set? We haven't had one for 10 years. I know. But the thing is, is that they do something cool like this pop culture. And it's like, okay, it's going to be one per box. Have fun. Tracking them down. It could be worse. It could be one of those lucky 13 rookie cards. Or a meteor shower one. Those are one per case. So those are definitely tough. Yeah, you know, the more I look at this, the more I'm tempted to buy a box. I don't know. This might be something. I guess if it's five, six bucks a pack, you're looking at, you know, under a hundred bucks a box. And yeah, I think I may. I think I might. The only thing that's up in the air to me about this whole entire thing is the last line before they talk about the product breakdown in the sell sheet read it to us look for celebrity autographs from one of your favorite shows with high profile fans autograph cards oh fans of the game type stuff sure but it says autographs from one of your favorite shows it doesn't say what show and how does it know what my favorite shows are that's my question (laughs) so if you get this card is it just a blank card that says here, enter this code online and tell us your favorite show. We'll get you an autograph from somebody on the show. I, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but, like, but they those... don't say what it is. What What is the show? That's what I want to know. Yeah. What is yeah. the show? Because I think my favorite shows and your favorite shows are probably different. Mm. Is it a hockey show? Is it like the Mighty Ducks reboot? Like somebody from that show? Oof, the timing would be so off on that, especially since that show got canceled. We'll well, be back for season three. This is a 21 product, so. All right. I mean, who who is it? Is it a hockey show? What other hockey shows are there? Shorzy. Short, Letterkenny, maybe? That's well, not Letterkenny right. kind of, but Shorzy's a spinoff that's, like, all hockey. Uh, what was that hockey show that used to be on? 
one about like a little like beer league team. Uh, oh, Benders. Benders, yeah. Yeah, Benders. Oh God, but, I love that show. Yeah. So is it hockey? hockey re- yeah. so is it a hockey related show, or is it? It just says one of your favorite shows. How does it know what my favorite shows are? I better be getting some Rick and Morty autographs out of this if that's what it is. That's a pretty big ask. Well, I mean, Justin Roiland's not doing anything. He's unemployed. Mm. Maybe he can sign. Okay, well, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Because I think this has been a good comeback show for us. It seems like every one of our shows is a comeback show. Well, it's like either I'm sick, you're sick, you're busy, I'm busy. That's just how it is, you know? Well, we had a weekly show where people were hanging on our every word to know what to buy and invest in. We might be more motivated to get them out there, but anyway, that was good. I'm anxious to see what Flare Ultra is going to look like, and I'm hoping to pick up a few singles from that Leaf Art of Hockey set. Yeah, I'm going to look into that, too, because I got to tell you something. If you could look past the lack of logos on their uniforms, and it's not too hard. Which I can. Yeah, especially if it's like a close-up where it's just like head and shoulder portrait of the player. You don't even need the logo because that's where the autograph is. And I mean, those cards just look so beautiful. So I think, you know, if you're a player collector, you're an autograph collector, memorabilia collector, these are definitely worth looking into. They definitely do look nice. Give them a shot. And leave a comment. Let us know if you're going to collect Art of Hockey or Fleer Ultra when it hits EPAC on June 7th. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please leave us a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.